Welcome back, everyone, to I Loved This Conversation. I'm so happy to be back. Thank you for bearing with the week off. I'm Alex Salzberg. I'm an animator, a teacher, a writer, and a podcast host. I created this podcast truly because I love having conversations with other creative friends of mine. That's a big and fulfilling part of my life. I love that feeling of getting lunch or coffee or a nice phone call, a nice FaceTime, a nice Zoom with a friend and talking about life and creativity and where they overlap. And I love that with new friends and old friends. And so I'm hoping that listening to this podcast feels a little bit like you're at lunch with a new or old friend talking about all this great stuff. Today's guest is Michael Talbot, a Boston-based artist and illustrator. It's a really great conversation. I can't wait for you to hear it. We talk all about freelancing and what it's like when you have too much work. Um, we talk about having variety in your career versus kind of narrowing it down to one kind of thing. We talk a lot about public art and the public reactions to it. And uh, I learned a lot also about Michael adjusting to life in the U.S. He came here for college and has been here since after growing up in Jamaica. And we learn about Michael art rival. Pretty excited for you to hear that part of it, too. I am at my desk in the Boston area. I am recovering from some pretty bad burnout, like a really sort of bad period of mental health caused by burning out from work. Uh, I will talk about it on here. I just want to unpack it a little bit more privately and talk about it when I have a little bit more perspective, but I am doing okay. Uh, instead, I kind of just want to reflect. This is the 19th episode overall, the 18th with a guest, and the pattern we've been doing is nine episodes with a guest and then a special episode where listeners submit called We Love Your Conversation, and that'll be coming up. So it kind of feels like being at the ninth episode, the final, the season finale of this quote unquote, season of the podcast. And I've just been thinking a lot about this project. I've been recording guests for over a year. I think we're coming up on a year of released episodes, and I love it. The things that have been most fulfilling about it are A, just that I really love the process. I really like recording. I really like editing. I really like making the animation that goes with the podcast. It's kind of a looser process than most of my other animations, so it's a little bit freeing, a little more like doodling. The kind words people have told me about this podcast, about my interviews, have been so genuinely fulfilling to me, and I'm so appreciative of that, and it really makes it feel worth it that people are getting things out of these interviews. I, I've heard of people being inspired to create new projects. Uh, folks have told me they've cried. I've cried during these interviews, too. There's absolutely just been such a great response, and that means a lot. Some of the other lessons, the pace of a podcast, and this is not even a weekly podcast, it's bi-weekly, that catches up with me no matter how much I buffer. I can go on kind of a recording binge and record tons of guests in a several week period. I'm doing that right now. And somehow I keep hitting points where I'm like, oh no, I got to catch up. And that's hard. It's not a complaint, but it is a challenge and certainly not unrelated to my burnout, right? And then the other thing that I've just been thinking about is how much this project and a podcast like this is very much a living thing. It's not a completed piece of art every time it goes out, right? The podcast as a whole is a growing, changing piece of art. And there are things that I envisioned when I started out that I've completely changed up. There are also things that I've discovered really, really work. Uh, and there are things I'm still not sure about. I'm still like a little bit uh, unsure how I want to handle intros, how long I want them to be, how short I want them to be. But it's actually been a really nice exercise to put something out there that is in the middle, that is imperfect. And 
to make peace with the fact that as I make more decisions, as I change things, as I let this evolve, there will always be these earlier episodes in the evolution that are a part of it. The biggest thing I'll say is I'm going to keep doing this. I really want to pay attention to how fulfilling it is and how challenging it is. But I want to pay attention to that in a way that hopefully leads to me noticing opportunities to do more things related to this or that branch off from this in my career. And I'm also going to try to make space for those opportunities if they come. So I'm not quite sure how I'm going to do that yet, but I just want to throw it out here and share that with you that I want this to be a bigger part of my creative life. It's already a really big part of it, but I want it to be a more sustaining part of my creative life. That's all. Other than thank you for listening. It's amazing to be almost a year into this. So we've got another great guest. Let's meet our guest and hear his connection to me. My name is Michael Talbot, and I think my connection to you was at the Armory. Yeah, Animatic Boston. Animatic yeah, Boston. I think that's where we met. Yeah, that was where we initially met, and then um, after I started teaching at Leslie. Yeah, I, you're someone I'm so excited to have you on here, because I think I, we've only interacted in person maybe like three, four times. Yeah. You've probably yeah. had some Zoom meetings. Like in passing or, yeah, in Zoom meetings, yeah. yeah. But I'm so, I've always, like, I've been following your work. I love your work. I've always been like, I'm interested in this guy. Like, I want to awesome. know more about you. Um, yeah. So I'm going to start by asking you the big question that we ask everyone, okay. which is, uh, Michael Talbot, what is something you're currently going through in your creative life? I would say this has been a slight rough patch for me these past couple of weeks, but it's a, a weird situation to be in because I, I've been overwhelmed, but with really good opportunities. Mm. My quote unquote freelance career has been taking off really well in directions that I am happy about and interested in. Yeah. But I feel like I haven't been able to manage it as well as I'd like to. So like I've been slightly stressed and overwhelmed, but with really good projects or really interesting opportunities that I'm looking forward to. So would you describe it as, I mean, this is such a cliche, but I, I'm, a, I'm a freelancer also, so mm -hmm. I say this sometimes, like it rains, it pours kind of. Yeah. You're doing that thing that all freelancers want, which is like, exactly. oh, I'm getting clients. It's all happening, <laughs> but they're... You wish they were spaced out a little better. A little better, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I, I've described my freelance uh, path as like the snowball effect. And I mm. feel like that typically describes a lot of people's freelance and networking um, path. Yeah. Where yeah. like you get a job or you connect with somebody and through that opportunity, they connect you with others and so on and so forth. Or at least that's the ideal. Yeah. So I feel like this snowball has developed into a mini <laughs> avalanche, which again, I'm happy about. Yeah. But it's just making sure I have the gear to survive the avalanche. Right. Know? I'm with you. And by the way, this is a very safe space to complain about that. I know it, it, it can be hard because I'm sure people listening are like, I, I can't even get a snowflake to fall down. Yeah. yeah. And, and I've been there. I'm sure you've been there. Mm -hmm. um, but it is really hard when it's all coming in at once because I think one side effect of freelance is you don't want to say no to anything. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm, I'm happy to say that over the past couple of years, I've learned to say no, mm. or even if I don't say no, I've learned to pass off or connect them with fellow artists that I know. So yeah. I can still maintain that connection and that network, but introduce other artists that I know who 
are either, you know, still looking for that snowflake, right. as you put it. Yeah, it's understanding that, yeah, I can't take on everything and being honest with myself in that regard. Was there like a low point where you needed to learn that lesson or was it more gradual? It was more gradual. Everyone I talked to about my art life, I always mentioned my my best friend and art rival from Jamaica. Uh, his name is Richard Natu, another really great artist. We constantly talk about where we are in our art careers. Yeah. And he has helped me gradually get to the point where I'm comfortable saying no to stuff and like at least come to the realization of like why that's beneficial. Mm. And even before I've gotten to the point of this avalanche happening, like when I've only been seeing like the one or two snowflakes or, you know, the one or two jobs that are coming in and like needing more jobs, but still understanding that not all the opportunities that come my way are for me or that I should accept. Right. Yeah. That's another thing. It's not, it's not all snow you, to stick with the metaphor. Yeah. It's not all the good snowball snow. Some of it's too fluffy or too dense or Mm -hmm. whatever. So like. Or or not snow. Or not snow. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So like knowing how to say no, regardless of the impending doom or the need to find a job or find these opportunities. It was a gradual buildup and a gradual like learning situation for me, but I would say I am steady in where I am right now with that. I'm with you. And and still, I think it sounds like you're still hitting this point now where would it be safe to describe everything right now as great snow? So you like don't want to yeah. turn it down. So yeah. you, in part of you welcomes the avalanche, but part exactly. of you is buried in it. Exactly. So um, with the avalanche, like sometimes you, you, you do need the avalanche to add that cushion. Yeah. <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> but then like, uh, as I mentioned, like having the gear to survive the avalanche or like being able to manage your time or learn how to set your affairs in order. <laughs> At risk of stretching this metaphor. <laughs> oh no, we're way, stretching it. Yeah. Way too thin. What What is the, the coat? What are the snowshoes? I don't know how to survive an avalanche. Really. <laughs> Neither I'm, do I. I'm doomed if I'm <laughs> on a mountain and I yodel too loud. Uh, yeah, what are those things? And and what do you feel is going to be the hardest piece of gear for you to acquire? Just maybe, mm. maybe based on your personality or your work habits. All right. We're, we're really going into this, <laughs> this metaphor. <laughs> Being Jamaican, I'm not uh, one who enjoys the cold, per uh, se. This is a rough metaphor. For it's, it's, a, it's a very rough metaphor for me. <laughs> so, like, I think for me, the most important gear would be, um, you know, something that is a solid enough windbreaker or sweater in reality i feel like it's time management for me yeah it really is time management both positive and negative in the sense of like being on time with my tasks not procrastinating or giving myself enough time to rest between projects and stuff but also one thing that a lot of people maybe think about for freelance but don't really quite like understand it is that there is a a level of needing to accept jobs on a rolling basis Mm -hmm. so that you can manage your time for the upcoming months and have the bills paid on time for the future without having to start all the projects at the same time yeah so you you might be accepting all the projects at the same time but you're not necessarily starting them at the same time figuring out when you'll do what and what to focus on first what to focus on later Uh, while still accepting stuff on a rolling basis and not 
going overboard with how much you're accepting. Right. And it, yeah, it's so tough. And yeah, the underlying thing that you're touching on is like, you're a full-time freelancer, right? Like yes. You're, yeah. So you're piecing together your quote-unquote salary, your income. Yeah, it's, it's exactly. Like, I'm running into this thing right now where I had a project. It, it was a really long project. It was meant to be about nine months. It's now mm-hmm. stretching to be about 11 months. And that's actually the problem is that I conceived of it ending mid-February. Thankfully, the client has been really flexible. And <laughs> it's just taking longer because sometimes things take longer. Yeah, um, yeah. Try not to be hard on myself about it. It's a big project. When I thought it was going to end in February, I lined up what was next and what was mm-hmm. next and what was next. And now those things are starting and I'm still in, in that avalanche yep, a little bit. Yep, exactly. So I'm, I'm right there with you. I guess I want to talk a little like what makes up uh, the projects. I'll try not to strain this metaphor too much. But like, <laughs> you know, in, the, in this avalanche, last time I'll say it. Yeah. Uh, what, 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 makes up, what makes up the projects right now? I'm familiar with your work in general from following you and I don't know if I've ever seen such variety and I say that like every freelancer I have a lot of variety and stuff I've done but like you've done everything from murals to children's books to graphic novels to beer cans puzzles um, probably a bunch of other weird stuff I haven't named Um, correct What what does that look like now? What's what's so, the makeup all right, now? So now, currently, I have a an ongoing book, a graphic novel, personal graphic novel that I'm working on, a couple murals, an ongoing exhibition, but also upcoming exhibitions. Oh wow! Are these exhibitions of paintings? Of yeah, paintings. Cool. I have a couple commissions, so like portrait commissions. I'm I'm sure I'm leaving out a lot that I, I just mean, can't remember right now. No, th- that's already too much. <laughs> But yeah, that that goes to show like a lot of just different things in different areas. I mean, obviously, your current goal is not to take on any more at this moment. But is is your goal in your career? Do you want to continue to increase? I'll say because as a freelancer, Mm. I'd say the most variety in my career was early on when I was. Yeah, I won't say it. Grabbing for snow, <laughs> looking for projects, and I'm like, yeah. yes, I'll paint your window on your storefront. Yes, I'll like animate mm-hmm. this thing for yeah, what uh, this like soccer show in Kuwait or whatever. That was actually a really cool job. Um, <laughs> but like all these weird things, and then it's kind of like focused in for better for worse. Mm-hmm. Is your goal to increase variety? Or are you like? I want to try this, I want to try that, or are you looking to, and and I wish I had a better word than focus, because that implies that having variety is like unfocused, which Mm -hmm. is not true, but yeah, I guess on that range of like trying to do more weird things, or are you like, no, I'd rather just do like all murals, or like just murals and books, like where do you fall on that? I would say, um, at least for the past couple years, two years or so, I've been leaning more towards public art and murals. My interest there has definitely been increasing. I'm thankful that like I've been getting more jobs in that realm as well. But I think my general outlook, as you mentioned, like at the start of the freelance career, you're grabbing for everything, yeah, yeah. doing a bunch of variety. I typically welcome that just in general because that gives me experience in a lot of different areas and it allows me to discover things that I enjoy doing or discover things that I don't enjoy doing and I won't know if I don't like it unless I do it yeah so I'm open to exploring these new avenues and seeing whether or not I'd want to incorporate that or stay away from mm-hmm. it. I w- it's it's hard to say. It, yeah. it, it's definitely a mixture of both, but a big focus I would say right now is public art. Yeah. Um but it doesn't mean that I'm like closed off from anything else definitely. Right. At this moment what's appealing to you about public art? The scale, mm. but also just the nature of it living out in the wild. The art that I've done in the past and how art is typically perceived is that it's very personal, it's very one-on-one. 
You know, yeah. it's done for a purpose that, you know, either you're doing a book, you give it to someone, or you're doing like an animation and it's for an ad or for a specific right. purpose. Yeah, I don't even see like where that. half the stuff I do goes. Yeah. A lot of people have that in their mind of like, oh, art, you know, could be very bougie, for lack of a better term, because it's, right. it's very geared towards certain people or certain audiences. But public art, I feel, breaks that a bit more and makes it more accessible yeah. to the public. And you're bringing a taste of that personal connection on a wider scale. And instead of just connecting with the one person that you're doing a commission for, you're connecting with a possible community or a whole city. And each person will take something different from it. I, I really enjoy just the thought of reaching people on that scale and providing this visual eye candy and yeah. this art for a wider audience than I could do personally or on my own. So I think that that is definitely the main pull for public art for me. That's cool. And I'm, I'm curious, like, in addition to obviously wanting to just make something cool that yeah. people see, well, yeah. are there, is there an, any other, like, impact that you hope for with some of your public art? Or maybe it varies with the setting and the piece? It, it definitely varies with the setting and the piece. I recognize that art has a voice and that people have very specific things that they want to bring to the world and say to people mm -hmm. and you know different issues that people are facing that they want to highlight but for me and the art that i want to do is to bring happiness and wonder and provide a space where people can escape whether it's escapism or whatever it's it's <laughs> i i enjoy making people feel good yeah. by looking at art rather than reminding them of what's bad. Not saying that that's negative or bad or right. that people shouldn't do that. It's very important. But for me and my art, I like to focus on the positive and bring that positive light and bring yeah. that personal connection of happiness and, you know, wonder to all the people. I mentioned this off air. My wife is a public artist. So mm -hmm. like something I've gotten to observe like that, sort of what that looks like. And something that in addition to the amazing thing that everyone gets to see your work, mm -hmm. I imagine also there's this element that like because everyone's your audience what are your interactions with the public like maybe especially when a, uh, something's a work in progress or like my wife calls it puberty where she's like <laughs> this wall and she does mosaics so it's, yeah, in, yeah, it's yeah. in puberty like until the very end that's, when a, she grabs that's an it. interesting term yeah yeah so <laughs> here's what if what your interactions with the public have been during and after I would say I'm always interested in that because not everyone gets to see the process, the art process, or like what goes into creating pieces like these or just art in general. So while I'm working on either a big mural or let's say an electrical box or something like that, they get to be a part of that process. They get right. to see the thought process, the, the inner workings, what you laid on first, if the design changes over time, stuff like that. They don't necessarily get the full picture. It's usually a snapshot, you know, based off if they're only passing by one day or if it's their regular morning route that they're walking by and see me working and they're like, oh, I see you here for the past week working on this and they decide to yeah. stop by and talk. But I encourage that interaction because then A, I feel more connected with the people who are going to be consuming this this visual piece. Right. But also it gives me a chance to, to see what their interests are and see if it's how it's connecting with people, seeing what they're taking away from it. Does that ever affect the artwork? Does someone's reaction ever change how you might approach the thing or, or is it more subconscious? I think it's more subconscious. I don't yeah. I don't know if it's good or bad that that <laughs> has not happened as no, yet. I, yeah. um, <laughs> I think it's fine. Yeah, yeah. I you think it's a, fine you too. You have a strong vision. Yeah. yeah. You know, have a vision, yeah. execute it, people take it well. Great. When you're doing something that's like very much in public that either 
is paid for by like a public, you know, government or whatever, or people yeah. would perceive it does. Do you run into people who, um, what the government spends money on or what the public spends money on is such a fraught yep. topic for good reason because it really affects people's lives. I think a lot of people don't realize that like beauty and art is a necessity for yeah. or, or should be a necessity. Yeah. So do you ever run into people who are just like snap judgment looking at your mural of like that could have fixed the pothole over there? I have had actually like in the beginnings of working on a mural somebody expressing distress mm -hmm. and saying oh why are you doing this? Oh we don't need this. And then yeah. throughout the, the process of the mural, once I got like close to the end of it, they actually saw what it was supposed to look like. Wow. I think they didn't have the full vision of like yeah. what it would look like in the end. Near the end of it, they actually saw the potential and saw what it would, was looking like. And it was a complete 180. They were like, oh, oh, we love this. You wow. know, thank you. And like, <laughs> it was a really interesting thought process. To, to internalize that yeah. and see whether or not if I heeded the comments beforehand, if that discouraged me or if I changed something, if it would have had an effect on the, right. the end or like what that would have looked like. Yeah. I mean, when that happens, yeah. Is your first thought, oh, they'll like it by the end. <laughs> or are you like, oh, that's that's a bummer. That's demotivating. Yeah. I, I think it's more of the, the, the latter of just yeah. like thinking like, that's a bummer. You know, I, I'd hope everybody would enjoy yeah. that I'm doing this. But if they don't, then I, I'm not going to not do it because I do want to continue making art and making public right. art. Do you feel an extra pressure to like justify what you're doing versus when you're just painting at your house? More so, I feel the need to justify to the client why I should be doing the design yeah. I'm doing. I find that a lot of the clients so far that I've been having for public art, they typically aren't very visual themselves, which is why they're reaching out to yeah, right. you know, public artists and muralists. Yeah. So there is a level of just not trusting that the artist has the capabilities to provide what they need. It's partially like micromanaging, questioning every single decision or element rather than looking at it as an overall thing or final outcome. The hardest part for me is the design process and getting client feedback and then yeah. making the edits and how I've approached that, whether sneakily or not, <laughs> is minimizing the amount of options that I give to the client, right? but more so uh, being very deliberate and specific in explaining the elements that I focused on or included. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, here are one or two ideas that I came up with. If I just left it at that and gave it to the client, they'd be like, oh, this looks nice. What if you added this? Or yeah. what if you changed that? What if you did? But instead of just doing that, I say, all right, these are the one or two ideas. I chose this element because so-and-so. I pulled from uh, your mission statement and this stood out to me. So that is represented by so-and-so. Now, when they look at the design, it's less of them judging blankly on the visuals yeah. and the elements and more so on oh there was thought that went into this right. and this actually connects to us we'd more than likely be happy going along with this yeah man i mean <laughs> if any freelancers or <laughs> freelancers are listening that is golden advice that you yeah. said. I mean, you said it about yourself, not as advice, but that is something I I learned also over the years is that mm -hmm. um, often when clients are giving tons of notes, it's because they feel like they're supposed to. Mm -hmm. they, they're nervous about this because, as yeah. you said, they may not be visual thinkers. They may have never worked with an artist before. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, the more you can be like, I've got you. Like, you're in yeah. good hands. Like, yeah. like, I know what I'm doing. There's a reason I was 
A accepted yeah. for this position. Like you accepted me because yeah. of my past work. So trust that I will be able to handle you and take care of you the same way I did past clients. Yeah, you know? man. All right. Well, I wanna I wanna back up a little and get a little bit biographical. Okay. Um. So my understanding is you grew up in Jamaica and mm-hmm. uh you came here to go to art school in Boston at Leslie, right? Correct. So was that right after high school that yeah. you came here? Okay. Yeah. So I came with my parents and it worked out that it was like literally right after high school we all moved here because I knew I was coming to like Massachusetts Boston area. So I just looked up whatever art schools were in the area. I don't know why or how, but Leslie was on the top of my list. I applied to Leslie. Well, at the time it was Art Institute of Boston. Yeah, yeah, that's Um, right. uh, Yeah, I applied and got in. It was, I think, the only school or the only option that offered a double major in illustration and design. Others, I think, were just like, a single major and you could minor in however many you wanted. I knew I wanted to do illustration. I knew I wanted to do design, even though my focus was more so on or interest was more so on the illustration side. I knew design would be helpful. So I wanted to get the full experience of that as well. I would admit that I I had more of an idea of the direction I wanted to go in than most people who typically go to art school. Yeah, that's a lot. Like, Assuming you were around 18, 19. That's, yeah. That's early for a lot of people <laughs> to be like, I know exactly like what disciplines I want to combine. Yeah. And, um, yeah. It's like, I, I had a huge interest in like illustration yeah. and like graphic novels. So I'm like, okay, I knew I wanted to do that. But in terms of like design and typography and composition and book layout, I knew that was under design rather than illustration. I imagine art and design and illustration must have been a part of your childhood if you already had such a knowledge of the direction you wanted to go. Like somewhat, what, yeah. What was sort of what was your art practice like, I guess, as a kid, as a teen in yeah. Jamaica? <laughs> For risk of sounding cliche, it was my life. Um yeah, I was a very quiet kid. I did not interact much with people. I did not go outside and play with <laughs> my brothers and the, the kids in the community. So I would just be inside drawing by myself. That was the way I occupied my time, but also like felt comfortable. And I'm happy that my mom and just my brothers and my family like recognized that and nurtured that. Like they'd get me coloring books. We'd have like art time. So my entire family would just like be there coloring and coloring books or like drawing together and stuff. It was nurtured for me at an early age. And just over time that became how I either coped with things or just like spent my time by myself. Throughout elementary school and high school, I just became known as the art kid because that was all I was doing. Yeah. And I tell people this because they're usually shocked, but my other interest is actually in the sciences and zoology. If I wasn't doing art, I'd be doing zoology. And I still do want to go back to school for zoology. Oh, cool. But because art was more prevalent or like people already knew me for art, yeah. I figured the, the road was easier already. <laughs> like half the work was already you done. You already the artist Yeah. <laughs> so I was just like, all right, I'll go with art first yeah. and then maybe like do zoology later. Right. I mean, zoology, well, so one parallel is like that. I don't think I ever considered zoology as a career, but I mm-hmm. would say that growing up, those were also my like parallel interests. Yeah. Where, like, I was like the artist kid and then I had all the animal facts. So exactly. I'd be exactly. About the animal facts. Yep. That was it. That was it. So I <laughs> I, I was watching like Animal Planet, Nat yeah. Geo, all of that Discovery Channel. And like I would be drawing 
my own like sceneries with all these very specific species populating the, these scenes. Yeah. Very specific like snake in like this area or like this this reptile or this lizard or like you know. I was I was really into like the different climates. So I would yeah. sit down with a blank sheet of paper and I'd be like, this is gonna be a rainforest one. And I knew I'm yeah, like, exactly. Okay, yeah. If it's South America, there, <laughs> there's not gonna be like, you know, gorillas and lions in here. Exactly, like... exactly. I yep, <laughs> we do that too. One thing that I, I remembered recently actually, along the, the lines of uh, zoology and my interest in animals, is that my brothers and I, we made a makeshift board game about exploring a land and discovering animals. So cool. it was, I think it was a, a, a Pokemon parallel, but yeah. with realistic animals. So we'd make all of these animal cards with like their stats and facts and stuff. And we'd make a board um, with like different climates, different um, locations and stuff. This and is great. I feel like we should cut this. <laughs> You, you and your brother should bring it to Shark Tank or something. Like, we probably could, yeah. Um, but yeah, we we really went in on that. I love that your family, it sounds like, was like a great audience to your yes. work and, and very supportive. I, I felt the same way. So when, when you graduated high school, just to understand, your parents were coming here anyway to yeah. Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, and I imagine, I guess at that point, you maybe had a choice. You could have stayed in Jamaica or were you kind of like, I've got to go with them? Actually, so I was underage when they were applying for visa by law i was underage i had to come with them by the time everything got accepted and like squared away i was 18. i figured the process was already done there are more art opportunities here in the states in terms of like colleges and like just jobs and stuff so i figured like i just do it were you excited about it did you feel sort of like dragged here by your parents or was it somewhere in between it sounds like you knew it was it was definitely 50 50. yeah i knew that if i wanted to pursue art my best bet would be here yeah. But being how I was in terms of like being reserved and shy and like to myself, it was scary. Everything I knew and was comfortable and happy about was in Jamaica. It was it was definitely a 50-50 of like understanding that and knowing that, but making the leap and trying to live with the decision, knowing that it will be helpful in the long run. Do you feel that's proven true? Like you yes. feel like you've had a lot more opportunity? Definitely. Freshman year in college is like sort of culture shock for everyone. Oh, yeah. Because everyone's leaving there. Mm-hmm. Often small towns, not always, but sometimes small yeah. towns, small bubbles, and then coming together to like art school and in your case in Cambridge, Massachusetts. But I'm curious, you from another country, and I'm sure you had peers who also were from other countries, but what was your culture shock like just being suddenly in a room that was mostly full of these American kids? No, it was literal culture shock. Like yeah. things that were the norm or tradition in Jamaica were foreign to them mm-hmm. or foreign to my peers and foreign to everybody else around me. So I feel like for a while, I definitely retreated again within myself, Yeah, but less so out of fear, but more so to, to observe and adapt. Mm. I think that's one uh, trait that I, I am proud to be able to do and, you know, have is to be able to adapt well through observation. Yeah. So like after coming to the States, my first year here, I was very, very, very quiet because I was observing, because I was taking in everything as much as I could right. and seeing how I could adapt and like live comfortably with as little resistance as possible. And I think that's why a lot of people don't necessarily hear a Jamaican accent when I speak. It might be there a little bit, but it was kind of a conscious decision that I made 
because I, I didn't want to have to repeat myself constantly. And I would be the focus of a lot of conversation and like just interactions because of the accent. And that was not necessarily my priority. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I learned how to speak American in quotation marks, <laughs> you know, but it isn't to say that like I am ashamed of my accent at right. all. It's more so of just like for ease of access and ease of day to day life. I've adopted this speech right. or I've adopted these ways to go about my life comfortably. As soon as I see another Jamaican or another Caribbean person, like the accent comes out. Right. Like, it's just it's natural at that point. I can't help. Yeah. It. Jamaica in particular. And I, by the way, I'm lumping myself into this. Americans, even though Jamaica is our neighbor, we have about two things we know about it. <laughs> yeah. And, and they're stereotypes. And they're generally like positive stereotypes, like mm. music and sort of maybe the general like attitude or yeah. accent. But I'm curious if you, when you came at 18, had any consciousness of that stereotypes, any particular thoughts about them, whether you wanted to like try to avoid them or, yeah. or you know. Short like answer, that. yes. Yeah. Um, and I think def that definitely played into why I was so aware of my speech mm -hmm. and my accent, because I knew once they heard that, most people would just go straight to the stereotype and say, you know, oh, Jamaican or yeah. like Wagwan, man. They, like right. They say like weird because that's what they know or that's what they've been taught. And so to avoid awkward situations or awkward conversations mm -hmm. and stuff like that, I've, again, tried to fly under the radar as much as possible until needed. To bring it back around to your art, where does your Jamaican culture like come into your art, if at all? I actually don't think it necessarily impacts it as much as people would think or mm -hmm. other people would hope. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, this this goes into uh, a conversation I've had also with my friend Richard Natu. With cultural art in general, that in itself has been stereotyped really hard. Caribbean art or Jamaican art, even in the Caribbean and in Jamaica, has a certain feel and look to it. And that's not necessarily the feel and look that I want to present in my art. I would definitely take elements of my life in Jamaica or just like elements of Jamaica and incorporate it in my art. So a lot of things that I draw now is like flowers and animals. And that was a big part of my life in Jamaica. Yeah. And it's a big part of my life growing up and what I saw in Jamaica. So a lot of those elements I'm including in my art now, but in terms of the overall look and feel of it and the focus, the, the subject matter and stuff is not necessarily what is often found in traditional Caribbean or Jamaican art. It definitely goes back into like being aware of what is out there, being aware of how things are perceived and how my art is going to be not necessarily questioned, but like interpreted. Yeah. And understanding that that's not my intent and being true to what I want to do and what I want to say in my art and going for it. Similar to what I mentioned in terms of like a lot of people feel and believe that art should touch on the issues and the impacts right. that people are going through now, which is important. Again, not <laughs> not not like bashing anybody who does that yeah. because it is it is important. People need that, but that's not what I want to say for my art. Do you feel, I mean, I, I picked up on in your answer that maybe there's been moments where you, people have either had an expectation yes. that you would do like quote unquote Jamaican art or mm -hmm. 
put pressure on you perhaps. Is that coming more from Americans who are like excited like, oh, you're from another country, so you're going to do that? Mm-hmm. Or is that coming from Jamaicans in your life? Or is it, is it both? I, I would say it's, it's, it's a little of both. Let's say, for example, if I am applying for either a grant or a scholarship or something in Jamaica, they are going to be looking for a certain criteria with those um, mm-hmm. expectations in mind. And it's my belief, at least, I feel like I'm less likely to get accepted for that opportunity because my art doesn't match said criteria. And this is it. This is for grants in, in Jamaica. Yeah. Or, yeah. Okay. And it does also touch on life here in Boston. So, yeah. you know, being black, there are a lot of BIPOC opportunities and grants, and there's a lot of, I guess, opportunities centered around like social justice yeah. and um, all of that. And again, there's an expectation of a certain visual or a certain way of representing things. And I've noticed that my art does not fit mm. that often. So it's it's not necessarily that they're looking for Jamaican art or Caribbean right. art specifically, but they're looking for a certain type of art that I am just aware that I'm not going to provide, whether intentionally or unintentionally. It's just not yeah. where my focus is or not where I end up going with my art. Right. Is there a frustration there? Like, are you, do you get frustrated that just being a black artist isn't, <laughs> isn't enough necessarily a little bit yeah not not a lot i will say um there is a tiny little frustration or at least a little nagging thing in my head i was like oh okay fine you know but i am confident and happy with my art and with my art journey and to bring back that the the overbeaten metaphor <laughs> here comes the avalanche, the avalanche. yeah <laughs> like i think that avalanche is yeah. proof enough that i'm doing something right Mm-hmm. And I'm happy about that. And that's yeah. that's at least evidence for that. So whether or not I'm accepted for other Black-specific, you know, grants or opportunities right, right, or right. competitions, I'm still satisfied and happy with the direction that I'm going with my art. Yeah. And then I want to kind of come back around to... Well, okay. So then I want to ask about... Actually, this, I think, relates to, like, that av- the avalanche. Yeah. And, like, being accepted for the work you do. You're someone who's who's known in the Boston art community as having, like, a very strong, like, personal style. Like, you're... And, and it even comes into your logo. And, you know, you have... Yeah. Um, the bow tie and the fro. And I'm curious... I, I still find that surprising, but yes. Yeah. I'm, and then, by the way, that's not the only thing like, yeah. like we also know you for really cool art but, like, <laughs> but the bow tie and the, the afro yeah yeah and but i'm curious like um is your personal style does that feel related to your art or is that just like no that's just what i like to wear it has nothing to do with my art like indirectly relates to it yeah. so part of my i guess personal style with the afro and the bow tie i like to dress fancy i like yeah. to i like to dress up but Along with that, I love floral patterns and a lot of the elements in my art. Yeah, because <laughs> I, I noticed is, the floral shirt, so don't worry. This is an audio medium that I, I have. Maybe it was subconscious because I've been looking at your work all week, but uh, yeah. I wore a floral shirt today. So for, nice. you, for you, thank anyway, you. Go Appreciate on, it. Go on. No, um, I didn't wear a bow tie, <laughs> but only because I don't know how to tie one. So it's, it's okay, and that's fine. <laughs> it's fine. But yeah, a lot of the elements in my work now incorporate flowers. Mm. So. I, I feel like my my personal style definitely seeps into my art style and vice versa. I like a lot of 
swirls and elegant lines in my art. And I, I feel like visually I like to represent that with the outfits that I wear as well. That's cool. Have you noticed at all? Because including the personal style, but just your work in general, how mm. you you do a lot of like social media stuff and and I think and you've been I think written about a lot and stuff like do you feel you have a strong I wish there were a better word than this because it sounds so corporate and we're artists and we don't (laughs) want to feel corporate but do you feel you have a strong brand I think so yeah yeah Yeah. and even though it, it might seem corporate or feel corporate it definitely is an important thing to consider or bear in mind as a freelancer Mm, Um, because there are so many corporate or organizations or just individuals who are looking for a specific brand or a specific feel or theme. Having that personal brand, whether it's like actually represented or if it's just like a subconscious thing, like that helps you connect better with the clients that you want to, you know, work with. So was there strategy behind your particular brand? Again, whatever that includes. I don't, yeah, I don't whatever that. Like, if you're like this bow tie is part of my ten year marketing, <laughs> but uh, you know, like, was it like how much do you think about your brand versus how organically did it just kind of develop? I would say it was probably ninety eight percent organically, mm-hmm. and the other two percent was more so like understanding or realizing where my brand was going or where my interests were going. Yeah, and then looking for opportunities within that realm or like maybe leaning into it. Something I I don't want to just speed by that you brought up toward the beginning. It sounds like you have a a close friend who you also consider your oh, yes. your quote unquote rival. Yes. So I, I want to hear yes. all about this relationship. My rival, my arch nemesis, my <laughs> best friend Richard Natu. <laughs> We both went to the same high school in Jamaica together. And we had many experiences that like got us closer and closer over the years. And very early on, we both knew we loved art, mm-hmm. and, like doing art and drawing. And I say this in the most loving way possible. <laughs> At the time, his skills were not that great. Mm. But the passion was there. For me, it was almost flipped. The passion for art wasn't as present it was more so of a a way to cope and escape yeah but because i was doing it so often it was like i i had more technical skills than most people meeting him and seeing his interest and seeing his passion i again observed and figured out a way or tried to figure out ways to incorporate that in my practice as well over the years just seeing like he he would make vinyl sticker tape and like sell it to students in school and that was just a whole new avenue of art that i was introduced to because of him over the years going through and seeing the work that he was doing whether it was good or not but seeing his drive over the years we just got really really close and we would always be in the art room drawing we would always be interacting hanging out with the the professors and teachers and stuff after i came to the states uh, i went to art school but he went to college for architecture i did not feel betrayal if anything, I, I was more so upset and jealous because even though he was going to school for architecture, he was still doing art and improving at an alarming rate. His passion finally, like, hooked on something. Yeah. And his skill level, like, skyrocketed. He, he was like, expo- caught up yeah. immediately. He yeah. was exploring different avenues. Yeah. He was, like, 
really testing out the waters and once he found something he enjoyed, he would really get into it and like really, mm. really like explore it and understand it. And me being in art school, I was always surrounded by artists and yeah. I feel like there was not as much passion as I was used to. From your peers? From my or? peers oh, yeah. here in art school. So, which yeah. was a, an interesting situation, Yeah, you know? So that made me, uh, I guess, appreciate uh, Natu that much more because he wasn't doing art for a career, but he was doing it because he wanted to yeah. and still doing better than most people who were pursuing it as a, a career path. Over the years, he just got better and better and better to the point that he was having exhibitions in Jamaica while I was still in art school, just, you yeah. know, doing my thing and learning. And I felt that he was surpassing me way too much. <laughs> so we ha we started having this friendly competition of like him doing something like really, really great artistically. And he he'd bring it to me and it's like, oh, hey, Michael, look what I did. Yeah. And then I'm like, oh, okay, now I have to set my game up and then I do something and then bring it to him. It was like, oh, look what I did. And then it was like us trying to one-up each yeah. other like constantly. <laughs> so would, it, would he describe you also as, I know it's tongue-in-cheek because oh, no, you're, yeah. you're good friends, but he'd describe you also as your, his nemesis? Yes, I think he was the first person who coined it. Man. So like, and I agree completely. Yeah. Um, he's I, I love this. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's really beautiful. No, it is, it is. I think it's beautiful because it is leaning into and I think some like usually a really healthy and motivating way it's leaning mm -hmm. into the very natural competition and jealousy that artists have with each other which yeah. which can be harnessed for good like exactly it, it it's good to be a little jealous of other artists. Like, I, I'll admit it. I looked at your website this week. It lit a fire <laughs> under me. Exactly. Like, and that's that's what like, I'm looking for. He's out here doing beer cans and, <laughs> and walls in Somerville. And, and I got to yeah. step it up. And that that's exactly what yeah. I'm looking for in terms of, like, what I want my art to do for other people. To mm. inspire them. There's healthy competition and there's unhealthy competition. Yeah. How do you find that line? With that, too. So, mm. like... Understanding how I'm able to interact with him unapologetically, but also like very honestly. Yeah. I think that is necessary. It's less of like wishing them bad right. and more so of like trying to see how you can improve and then helping them improve as well. Yeah. So there is always a conversation of like, okay, what can we do to improve? Or like if he's doing a project that obviously he's going to bring to me and I'm going to try and one-up him on, yeah. but he still brings it to me knowing this and asks for my help to say, okay, I'm having this issue. I need to figure this out. And then we actually sit down and workshop it. Yeah. And I do the same. Like I'm trying to figure out like ideas or trying to, uh, workshop a, a specific problem and I'd bring it to him knowing that he might steal the idea or utilize it <laughs> in something else but it's that trust that we're not doing this out of malice right. or we're not doing this because we wish the worst for the other person but we want to see them grow and in helping them to grow we're going to inspire ourselves to yeah. grow as well this sounds like, I mean, it's my cartoon brain just makes everything <laughs> into a cartoon. But like, this sounds like you're some sort of classic pairing of like cartoon animals that like, yeah, you chase each other around with the mallet. But when push comes to shove, you're we work like, together. You, work, yep. you have to work yep. together. You're like Garfield and Odie or something yep. or whatever. All right, we got to have Richard Natu on to tell his side of the story. Oh, yes. <laughs> if, if, if he wants, Richard, come on the show. Uh, I do I do Zoom interviews if you're in Jamaica still. Um, All right, yes. <laughs> we got to get to our lightning round in a minute. I do want to ask one more thing. You are someone who shares your process a lot. Mm -hmm. Every time I open Instagram, <laughs> 
Michael yeah. Talbot has got, is going live. <laughs> Uh, the little banner and um, and your lives are often you just working on a mural and maybe yeah. chatting with people or answering questions. Mm-hmm. Um, what motivates you to go live and, and what do you like? I assume you like it because you do yes. it so much. Um, I, what, I, what do you like about it? So it's it's twofold. It definitely has helped me be more productive. It's something of an accountability thing. So yeah. if I'm going live or if I'm like working, having people watch me forces me almost in a way to be productive or to have something for them to watch. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't be going live and not doing anything. Right. Just sitting, eating a sandwich. Exactly. <laughs> on your phone. Yeah, you know, just like scrolling. Phone. It was like, oh, yeah, this is the daily life of Michael. It's like, yeah. no, I go live if I need to get something done so yeah. that I can either have company or just have people watch in that kind of encourages me to do something so that they have something to watch, but yeah. also show the process. And that goes into the second aspect of like, I have definitely enjoyed live art and doing art in the public and while, you know, showing people that process because yeah. not many people are aware of it or what goes into it and like seeing how you problem solve a situation right. and so the best way to learn too is to just watch exactly someone. that's that's, like. that's how i learned yeah so i i figured like why not do the thing that i would have wanted to see when i was yeah. learning all right we're gonna jump into our lightning round. okay let's go no pressure your answers don't have to be that fast no but, it's, uh, it's it's all the pressure let's go <laughs> <laughs> oh right you want the healthy oh uh, healthy competition you know richard <laughs> natu did the lightning round in under five minutes under so five minutes you oh. gotta be <laughs> All right, so our first lightning round question is, what is something you've learned the hard way that you would be happy if other people didn't have to go through it? Like if they could just learn it the easy way by listening to this episode and not have to go through all that trouble. My brain is flooded right now with so many things. You can can have more than one answer. It's totally fine. Okay, now I'm just blanking. (laughs) An avalanche happened. Avalanche just happened. Um, You are able to do something, whether you believe it or not. Oftentimes in the moment you don't see or you're not aware of the path that you need to take or how to achieve something or how to go about completing something. But outside of the situation, you figure out a way to do it. I guess for risk of sounding cliche, believing in yourself. (laughs) Yeah. Like you actually can achieve all of these things that you want to. It's just that in the moment you are doubting yourself. And a lot of people have doubted themselves for long enough that they start to believe it. Allowing yourself the opportunity to improve. I love that. And then our second lightning round question Mm -hmm. is, what is something you learned the hard way that you're glad you learned it the hard way? That for you, there was no better way to learn it. Mm -hmm. You couldn't have gone through it the easy way. I guess in the early, early beginnings of my freelance career, uh, while I was still in school, my first book job, learning the do's and don'ts of client work Mm. and like, I guess, how to advocate for yourself with clients who are overstepping expectations and boundaries. Talk about the hard way. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) While at the same time, undercharging or probably not Mm -hmm. even charging, one of my first book jobs, almost every single thing that could have gone wrong went wrong. And that allowed me to know what to do better next time. And because like that became a big 
component of a lot of the jobs that I've been doing. Having that experience early on, I was able to streamline the process later on. I, I'm just sitting here relating to, <laughs> to learning that stuff the hard way. I mean, it still happens to me all the time because yeah. I'm, you know, you grow as a freelancer, but it's like every piece of advice that I could give anyone about being a freelance artist or an independent artist, mm-hmm. it was hard one. Yeah. It was <laughs> everything I tell someone not to do is a, or to do is a mistake I made. And you mm-hmm. can't know mm-hmm. until you make the mistake. Until you do it. Like, yeah. Some people are blessed enough to not go through that experience often or have gotten the advice early on and been able to apply it and like had a, a more streamlined path. Yeah. To doing art and interacting with clients and stuff. But <laughs> but there are others, there are the majority of them who have gone through hell and high water. Yeah. And like met these people that they've had to like struggle through projects and opportunities with in order to know what they want to do, what they don't want to do, and just how to interact with people better. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Okay, cool. I'm not going to add. You uh, you said it all. Um, And the third and final lightning round question. Mm -hmm. What is your favorite thing to do that has nothing to do with illustration, design, murals, all, all of the different artwork that you do? Okay. Two things, actually. One, video games. I've always loved video games whether playing them watching them the stories within them just the art all of that video games are great so in my spare time or whenever i can or whenever i force myself to take a break i play video games so that is one thing that i enjoy doing Uh, the other thing um which has been more so something i adopted after coming to the states is dancing and a lot of people who knew me Growing up in Jamaica would not necessarily associiate me with dancing or see me as the dancer person. Right. You're the artist. In the, I'm the in artist, the, the quiet artist yeah. who's just like by himself and stuff. But yeah. coming to the States, the dance scene or the clubbing scene is very different and more so, I guess, there are less eyes on you judging you and how you dance and more so of just like being free and loose. Experiencing that for the first time with some friends, that was life-changing for me. This was one of the first times I was able to be as free as I wanted to be and just move without fear of judgment, fear of like people like snickering and stuff. And like, I just had fun so when you say dancing you mean like just going out dancing just not, going out not necessarily dancing like classes or, yeah yeah um i do do swing dance as well so oh, i do cool. uh do classes i've been trying to learn bachata as well oh, nice. so i i have expanded into other like actual like structured dances but just like clubbing and just being free yeah. and dancing and moving that has been a big part of my life now I am literally out dancing every single week, multiple times a week. I I call it my gym workout because I I hate the gym. I don't go to the gym, but I'm always dancing. So it is a workout. It is is a big workout. Let's say two, three nights a week, I dance for three hours straight. Oh, wow. And just like at full blast, you know? So (laughs) I I, I would consider that like a decent enough workout. Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I mean, yeah. We went dancing around New Year's and I was sore Mm -hmm. the next day. Yes. Yep. All right. Well, I'm so appreciative of your time. This has been really fun getting to know you. Uh, You're more than just the bow ties. Thank you. I'm just kidding. (laughs) 
I already knew that. But uh, our last question is just where, if our listeners want to see your work, if mm. they want to follow you, if they want to see your lives, if they're in the Boston area and maybe just want to look out the window of their Ooh. car and see some of your work, uh, where would you like to direct people to see your work? I am uh, at Talbot's Art on Instagram and Twitter. I mostly post on Instagram and as Alex mentioned, I'm always doing live streams. So Talbot's Art, T-A-L-B-O-T-S-A-R-T. And that's also my website, talbotsart.com. Um, I have a Patreon. Yeah, if you're in the Boston area, I have a couple murals up around the area. I have two in East Somerville. I have one currently up in Roxbury on Norfolk Ave. I'll be working on a couple in the spring as well. So like, I'll have a, a more extensive list to post yeah, nice. somewhere. Cool. So talbotsart.com, talbotsart.com. at, at talbotsart. Mm-hmm. Watch the lives. Watch the lives. Look Please up. join in, ask me questions, or just like hang out. I have a friend who joins the live and falls asleep. It's it's, it's great. It's a chill spot. So, yeah. It's a very soothing live. Yeah. I love it. Honestly, Open yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, uh, Michael, thank you so much for doing this. I, I really yeah. loved it. And um, Richard Natu, you're next. You're next. <laughs> Maybe not literally, but we'll get to you. We'll get to you. We'll yeah. get you on the pod. <laughs> Okay, that was the awesome and talented Michael Talbot. A couple quick updates that Michael sent me since we recorded that I wanted to share. He's currently finishing up an indoor mural at the Broad Institute in the Kendall Square area. So you should definitely check that out when it's done if you're in the Boston, Cambridge area. And Michael also recently got accepted into the Artists for Humanity Alumni Fellowship Program. So congrats, Michael. They clearly made the right choice. Thank you so much for listening to I Loved This Conversation. Please, for real, I know this sort of sounds like white noise when you hear it at the end of podcasts, but share, like, subscribe, review. Think of those things as putting a little dollar in my tip jar because they really, truly help this podcast. And I really want to get it out there. And another ask, share this directly with your friends. I was thinking about the way that I find new podcasts and very often it is a friend or family member sending me an episode of a podcast they listen to that they found inspiring or funny or informative. If that episode is good, I subscribe and I get hooked. And I really think if people hear an episode of this, they'll be hooked. They'll subscribe. As I mentioned, the schedule is going to change a little bit because I was a little burnt out. In order to take care of myself and take care of my other responsibilities, I'm going to use this sort of season finale as an excuse for a break. So there'll be a bit of a break before the regular episodes resume. In May next month, we will have our special We Love Your Conversation episode come out, as well as the animated clips for the last two episodes. And then in June, at some point, the new guest episodes will resume and we'll have another season, another nine episodes, and then a special episode unless we change it up, which it might, because it's a living document. And I'm super excited about the next quote-unquote season. I've already recorded some of the conversations, and they are do do the kids still say fire is that still a thing people say they are fire fire emoji thank you to my brother adam for mixing this episode and getting it to your ears the theme music is by typist adam solo project as always i like to recommend another episode of this podcast if you liked this one, I am actually going to recommend two. Sarah Lynn Rule, the children's book author who I interviewed a couple weeks ago, and Matt Bruno Richardson, who is an animator that I interviewed last year. It was episode number two. Both of them are very talented visual artists who talk a lot about their craft and freelancing. 
if you enjoyed this one, you'll get a lot out of those too. But also just listen to all of them because I'm proud of every episode and I want you to hear them. All right, we'll, uh, we'll talk again soon. I'm hard at work on the next round of stuff, but also trying to enforce some boundaries and slow down and be healthy. So we'll see you in May. 